Today's reading is coming from 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verses 1 to 25. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, so that church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good would I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anybody know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can you find one who finds himself among those who do not understand? Say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in a tongue, and some who do not understand, or some who do not, or some believe, unbelievers come in, 
will they not say you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Thanks, Irene. Well, good evening, everybody. It's good to see you. We've got a tough passage to look at this evening, so um, let's pray for, for the Lord's help, shall we? Father God, we do pray this evening that your spirit would help us to understand your word, that he would enable us to apply it to our lives, uh, that we would be changed as a result of this evening, and that we would know how we can build up your church. We thank you that you want to build your church up, and we thank you for the privilege of being used by you to build up your church. So bless her this time now. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may know that I'm a bit of a lover of, of languages. Um, I find it a great uh, thrill to be able to um, converse with someone in their own language and to remove that sort of invisible uh, communication barrier. Um, it's also quite fun, um, if not a bit creepy to sit on a train and hear people speak in a different language and understand what they're talking about without them knowing that you're, you're eavesdropping. Um, but I've also experienced the frustration of being somewhere where I hadn't understood what people are talking about. Uh, being in worship services in other countries where I haven't understood what's going on, as I'm sure many of you may have been. And it's incredibly frustrating, isn't it? God made people in his image to be relational. The main way in which we relate to uh, one another is through language. Um, but ever since Babel, when... People tried, we're told in Genesis, to build a name for themselves rather than for God. We have, as human beings, had to cope with the frustration of many languages rather than one throughout the world. With the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, uh, people from every nation were able to understand their own language uh, being spoken. And that was a symbol of the fact that uh, the gospel message was about to go out to to all the nations of the world, uh, but also a foretaste of the unity that will exist in heaven when we're told people from every nation will gather around the throne and cry out together these words, presumably in one language, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. But what about now? How do we worship now? And what role does language play in that? Well, that's um, partly what we're looking at this evening. And the, the main point you probably have guessed from the title um, is that the, the main point of corporate worship is, in addition to glorifying God, to edify, to build up the church. It's God's gift to us. We are God's gift to one another. Now, if you haven't been uh, uh, here over the last few weeks, we started this series back in chapter 12. And uh, Paul has been addressing the issue of tongues in the church in Corinth. But before speaking directly about the issue of tongues, he has shown in chapter 12 that the Spirit has given each one of us gifts, um, gifts for the common good, for the building up of the church, and he distributes the gifts just as he determines. We've seen a unity and um, diversity are both gifts from God. And that great verse from chapter 12, it is, body though one has many parts, but all his many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. 
And at the end of chapter 12, um, Paul said, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. But before he expounded on that, he took some time out in chapter 13 to emphasize that the most important thing is not what gift God has given us, but the way in which we use it. And so he said, and yet I will show you the most excellent way, the way of love. And he gave an incredible picture in chapter 13 that we looked at last week of what genuine serving sacrificial love looks like. And he explained that unlike the other spiritual gifts, love will last forever beyond this life. So as we come into chapter 14, um, Paul again says in verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And the first point I think he makes in these first few verses is that prophecy that edifies the church is better than tongues that speak only to God. As it says in verse 2 there, for anyone who speaks in a tongue, or as the footnote says, another language, does not speak to people, but to God. As we've said before, the word translated tongue um, is the same word for language, and it's a shame there's a whole load of preconceptions that have been built up around the phrase speaking in tongues. Um, if we said speaking in another language, it might sort of demystify it a bit. But what is this other language that he's talking about? Well, some um, would say it's another human language. Others would say it's a spiritual language that no one else can understand, other than someone who has the gift of interpretation. But let's have a look at it together. In verse 2, it says, Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. And later in verse 14, uh, Paul says, If I pray in a tongue... My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So it appears to be a spiritual language in which the mind doesn't necessarily know what is being said, but the spirit knows that it is worshipping God. I'm sure those of you who have experienced um, speaking in tongues will know something of that. Paul himself says um, in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So it's obviously a gift that he values, um, that helps him in his worship with God. Um, But he also says in verse 19, But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So what he appears to be saying is that, yes, tongues are a great gift from God, but they're a gift to build up the individual, not a gift that's to be used to build up the church, which is what the other gifts are designed for. And therefore he's saying it shouldn't be used in the church, in the gathering of God's people. Verse 4 says, um, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But, and here comes a contrast, the one who prophesies edifies the church. He says, I would like um, every one of you to speak in tongues, although we know from chapter 12 that's not necessarily God's plan to give everybody the gift of tongues. Um, but even more, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. In verse 16, um, he says, When you are praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in a position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else 
is edified. It's all, you see here, it's all about edifying. And the edification of the church is what God wants more than anything else. God has put us together so we can build one another up in our faith. There's no place, he's saying, for independent, self-sufficient people who don't think they need other Christians around them. Well, Paul goes on to illustrate why he thinks uh, tongues without interpretation are unhelpful in worship and takes the um, example of musical instruments. He says if they just played one note, there would be no tune. Um, wouldn't be particularly pleasing to to the ear. Imagine if our music group just played one tune. Um, wouldn't be particularly uh, edifying, would it? But when they play different notes together, different instruments, it sounds wonderful. Take the trumpet, he says. If the trumpet just played one note, it's a pretty dull uh, sound. It means nothing. But um, if you hear the trumpet playing at the last post or the, the reveille, suddenly it means something, doesn't it? And so Paul concludes in verse 9, So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You'll be just speaking into the air. He's saying there won't be any connection between you and other worshippers. And if there's no connection, you might as well be at home or um, in a completely different place. Because languages are designed for the purpose of communicating with each other and relating to, to each other. It says in verse 10, if you look down there, undoubtedly there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. As I was saying at the beginning, you can't connect. Um, sometimes even when you speak the same language, you might not be able to connect. And I felt called into to ministry. I was working out in Brazil at the time, um, and the first question I had to grapple with was, if God was calling me into full-time Christian ministry, where was he calling me to serve him? Was it in Brazil? Um, was it back in the, the UK? Um, and the main reason I think I decided that it was the UK, that's what God was saying, was because I saw a greater spiritual need in this country. Um, anyways, Brazil is more healthy spiritually than the UK. It's a bigger mission field. But another reason was that although my Portuguese wasn't bad, there's still a difference between communicating on a superficial level and communicating on a deeper level. To pray in a foreign language is a very difficult thing to do, however fluent you are in that foreign language, um, because it's not the language of your, your soul, if you like. Um, so to pastor a church, to communicate with people in a different language would have been an incredibly difficult thing to do. Well, Paul concludes in verse 12 here. Um, Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. This is the key message coming through all these chapters. It's building up the church. And the gift, he says, that does do that is prophecy. So what is prophecy? Well, as we've said before, it's a message from the Spirit given to a person about a specific uh, situation. Um, it's often spontaneous, but I don't think it's uh, exclusively spontaneous. Um, and the purpose of the, the message is, as it says in verse 3 here, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. All different ways of serving others, all different ways of building others up, and building up the church. It's really what pastoral care is all about, isn't it? You know, we, 
We often think of pastoral care as the strengthening, encouraging, and comforting of those who are ill or struggling in different ways. But we all need strengthening. We all need encouraging in our faith. Um, Faith is not meant to remain static. Unless you're trying to grow stronger in your faith, then you'll probably grow weaker. So prophecy can be helpful for anyone. What is the difference, you might ask, verse 6 there, between, um, it says, somebody who uh, brings a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure there is much. We're not told what the difference is between each of those things. They're all word gifts that have been given by the Spirit to enable us to help someone in a way um, we wouldn't have been able to do so without with our own knowledge, without the knowledge of the Spirit enabling us to help in that situation. I'm not sure it necessarily matters what we call it, but it's more important that if the the Spirit has given us that word, that we use it to help the person he wants us to help. So the whole time we should be looking to pray for people, to ask the Spirit, how can I help this person you've put into my path? Um, Enable me to help them through whatever you want to give give me to, to do that. So we come together as believers to be built up as a church, but a worship service is not exclusively for believers. We, we should be inviting our non-Christian friends to come. Um, if we really think um, we have something special, then we'll want them to share it as well. I think sometimes we think it's going to be so alien to them that we almost dare not invite them. But um, maybe the Lord is leading them to come. I just need somebody to invite them and get them over the, the threshold. But if there are going to be um, people who are not Christians here, and there may be some here this evening, how does that affect what we do in worship? Well, worship should be intelligible to the unbeliever. Look at verse um, 20. It says, brothers and sisters, he addresses them. He's speaking to them with real affection here. These are members of his Christian family. But his affection doesn't stop him giving them a rebuke. He goes on to say, stop thinking like children. Or put another way, just grow up. Your behavior is childish. He's been saying throughout the letter, um, you're quarreling like kids in a playground. You're taking sides against each other. You're using spiritual gifts to boast rather than to edify. You've forgotten what the cross was all about. The fact that it was about self-sacrifice. And one of the areas in which he tells them to grow up is in their thinking, he says, in regard to evil... Be infants, be be innocent, if you like. But in your thinking, be adults. He's saying the battle is in the mind. Don't be swayed by the latest attractive ideas or, or teaching, because we're warned that false teachers will come along. They will give people what their itching ears want to hear. Don't be swayed by, by emotions, as if emotions somehow trump thinking. And so Paul gives them something to, to think about. And he quotes from the book of Isaiah. He says, With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Well, to understand this, I think we need to look at the context. So if you've got uh, your Bible there, if you want to go back to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 28. Let's try and work out what is, what is going on here. It's on page 712 if you've got a church Bible. 
So what we see here is the people of Israel mocking the prophet Isaiah, which is exactly what God said would happen when he called Isaiah to be a prophet. And in verse 9 we read what the people of Israel are saying about Isaiah in in this mocking tone. It says, who is it he's trying to teach? To whom is he explaining his message? To children weaned from their milk? To those just taken from the breast? For it's do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here, a little there. And if you look down the little footnote there in the Hebrew, it says, um, sav la sav, sav la sav, kav la kav, kav la kav. It's, without even understanding what that means, it's a sort of la da da, la da da. He's mocking Isaiah the prophet. And God's response is that if the people won't listen to his prophet speak to them in their own language, he will send an army from Assyria speaking a foreign language to punish them. This is a message of judgment. So we go back to Corinthians. Paul is applying this principle to unbelievers who find themselves in the, in the Christian gathering. He's saying tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. How does that relate to just what's just been said about judgment? Well, look at verse um, 23. If the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? If unbelievers come in and hear a load of people speaking in tongues, they won't understand a word. Totally unintelligible, and they will therefore not understand anything of the gospel. They won't know what it means to be saved by trusting in Jesus' death, his resurrection. They will think that the God these people worship is totally incomprehensible, um, and so they will reject him and ultimately face judgment. So tongues for them are a sign of judgment. It's confirmed them in their unbelief. Now against that, Paul sets the gift of prophecy. He says prophecy, um, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. As we said before, it's designed to build up the church. It's not specifically addressed to unbelievers, but, Paul says, in verse 24, if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, the result is very different. They will understand what's being spoken because it's in their language, And it's not automatic, of course, but it may be that as the Spirit works, as he impacts their minds with the truth, then it says they are convicted of sin, they're brought under judgment by all, all those prophesying, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down, they'll worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So the point he's trying to make is that prophecy not tongues can bring the unbeliever to faith. I hope that makes sense. It's some tougher, tough passages in there, isn't it? But let's come on to the final point. It's, um, we haven't read this um, yet, but let, well, we'll go over it very briefly. It's um, verses 26 to 40. Because having rebuked the church in Corinth for the misuse of tongues, he goes on to describe what a corporate worship service um, should look like. And again, he emphasizes in verse 26 that everything must be done so that the church may be built up, just in case we haven't got that message yet. Um, He also applies a teaching about a body being made up of many parts. Um, He applies that to the use of spiritual gifts in worship. And he says, when you come together, 
Each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Uh, as far as tongues are concerned, you can only have two or at the most three, and only one at a time, and it has to be with interpretation. If there's no interpreter, he says, verse 28, um, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speaks to himself and God. As far as prophecy is concerned, this is verse 29, likewise only two or three, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Now why is that, you may ask? Um, Because prophecy doesn't carry the authority of the word of God, of scripture. Um, It's what someone in church who has the gift of prophecy feels that God is saying to them for the benefit of others. But being obviously fallen creatures, we may have got it wrong. Um, and so it's up to the leadership to, to weigh it. First test being, does it contradict scripture in any way? And if it does, then clearly it's not from the Lord. Now there's more instruction about not speaking at the same time. Um, and the emphasis again in verse 31 is, is that so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Now, it then goes on to a strange paragraph, which begins, verse 34, women should remain silent in the churches, um, which on first reading looks like Paul is saying women aren't allowed to speak at all in church. But um, back in chapter 11, we were told that women can pray and prophesy. So that's clearly not what he's saying here. It's important with any passage of Scripture, isn't it, to understand its context. That helps us to understand what he's getting at in this particular place here. And if we look at the the verses that have just preceded that, verses 29 to 33, they're dealing, as we said, with the issue of weighing prophecy. So what it appears that Paul is saying here is that women should be excluded from that role, presumably because of the issue of of male headship that he's been talking about back in chapter 11, um, that the fact that men and women are equal before God in terms of their status, but different in terms of the roles they, they play in the family and in the church. Um, weighing prophecy implies more authority than giving prophecy in the first place, so women can give prophecy. But I think what he's saying here is that if women to, were to weigh the prophecy, they would be an authority over the church and over, over other men in the church. And so Paul is saying um, that shouldn't be happening. If they have a problem with somebody else giving a prophecy, he says they should take it up with their husbands at home and not intervene verbally in the church and challenge the authority of the leaders. Well, Paul concludes the, the letter in verse 39, um, encouraging the believers to be eager to prophesy, prophesy, to not forbid tongues, but only practice them in the church with interpretation, and that everything in worship should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now, I'm conscious I've rushed through that, and um, there will be chance next week, uh, having come to the end of this series, to, for you to ask questions about what's been said um, in these various chapters, um, and I'm sure you may have issues about how we apply this. Um, but I just want to leave you with some questions um, to take away, just to, to think about, in terms of the key, the key point that Paul is trying to get over here. And it's um, to challenge you as well. And that is first, in what ways are you seeking to be built up in your faith and seeking to build up others in their faith? First of all, when you come to church on a Sunday, are you praying before you come 
that you would be an encouragement to others as well as be encouraged yourself when you come, when you go to your midweek small group meeting, when you go to a church members meeting, what way are you seeking to build others up? And are you regularly praying that God would give you a word that would strengthen, that would encourage, that would comfort someone else? Because Paul says, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So are we eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit to build up his church? Let's have a moment of quiet to reflect on those questions and to pray about them. And then uh, in in a minute, Dave and Jackie will come and lead us in our prayers. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For thine is the power, thine is the glory, thine is the kingdom, forever and ever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Heavenly Father, thank you that after our heavenly, our earthly life is over, with all its humiliation, pain, grief and loss, you take us to the perfect place to live forever in your everlasting presence. In this world, we stumble and fall blindly in that place with you. We fly on the wings of eagles. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Thank you, dear Lord Father, that at the end of each day, you wipe our slate clean of all sin with total forgiveness. But also, Lord, let us remember in the prayer you taught us, it's just as important to forgive those who have sinned against us, to wipe that slate clean and begin again. And Lord, whilst you freely offer us forgiveness for our multiple sins, our repentance needs to be intentional. So I pray for your Father-like guidance to help us see our weaknesses those times when we regularly fall short of being true children of Christ. I pray for your wisdom in helping us know how to change. And finally, your strength, which makes all things possible, to help carry it out. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Amen. Amen. Sovereign Lord and Holy Father, creator of all things, we give this evening over to you. Please be with us as we've heard your word taught to us. Let our ear hear and our hearts be open to receive your word. Bless us with understanding and may they, those who hear, who don't know you, feel you in them tonight for the first time. That you may change their lives 
and give them the hope for eternal life that we have with you. Please be with your church here at LCBC and show us how we can best carry out your works to share the wealth and love you have blessed us with in this world around us. Teach us how we can encourage others to come to know you. May that be planting another church in your name or training more people to carry out work in your name to many others. For you have given us plenty. Let us also hold loosely to this and share it with others. Hear our prayer, O Lord, for our country's leaders, that with the coming change in leadership, that the new person may know your ways and be guided by you so that the country can be led by your ways and deeds also. Please, Father, be with our pastors as they teach us by word. Give them knowledge, give them wisdom to use this and protect them from the works of the evil one. Give them shield of your word, give them strength to do battle against his works with your people. Deliver us, Father, from the evil one. From worldly temptations, sin and comforts he offers. Whoever conceals sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. If we confess our sins, Father, you are faithful and just and you will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. You, our God, have granted repentance that leads to life. Therefore, we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we may be healed. We ask this prayers in the mighty name of Lord Jesus, our Saviour, Christ Jesus. Amen.